You heard Mark said our big idea today, and our big idea today is bold prayers honor God because God honors bold prayers. Bold prayers honor God because God honors bold prayers. You know, I think many times we ask God to do things that's within our own power for us to do it. But that doesn't give God honor. That doesn't give God glory. But you ask God to split a river, a raging river, like he did last week in Joshua chapter 3. You ask God to, to make the, the earth and the moon and the sun stand still, which he does in the book of Joshua as well. You ask God to bring down a giant wall that we're going to look at today. That gives glory and honor to God because we can't do it. I wonder why many times we ask God and we pray for God prayers that we can really do ourselves because we're, to be honest with you, we're kind of afraid if he doesn't show up. You know, many of us, and I grew up in church, and we kind of always prayed this tagline at the end of a prayer. Well, you know, God, this is what I want, but not my will. Not my will, but what you want. And you know, I believe that's a great way to pray. Jesus prayed that way. But I wonder if the reason why many of us put that little caveat at the end, because we don't think God is going to show up. We don't think God is going to do what we ask. Yes, we want his will be done over ours. But I think so many times we pray for something and we're kind of like how James describes us. We're, we're a double-minded person tossed which way by the waves. We really don't believe God is going to come through. Well, today, I believe that bold prayers honor God because God honors bold prayers. And today, we're going to be talking about praying circles around our problems, praying circles around our impossibilities, about praying circles around our Jericho, if you will. In fact, where we're going to be looking at today is Joshua chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 6. Um, if you uh, use version, and if you don't know what that is, uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download it. Just type in Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N, and you can download it. And then from there, you can hit our live events, and you can follow everything and interact with the message today, okay? But we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 6, and as we do that, I want to give you some context, because some of you, this may be your first time at one church, and we want to say welcome. Uh, this may be your first time ever in a church, and you maybe not know, you don't know anything about the Bible, and that's the reason why I want to give you some context. God chose a people for his own, and these people were called the Israelites, and God made some really outlandish, amazing, big promises to his people. These pre people were for 400 years in slavery, and God raised up a guy by the name of Moses to get them out of slavery in Egypt to take them to a land that he was going to promise them. Up to this point, God's people have never had a permanent address. Um, they had just been kind of uh, living as slaves. So God takes them to the edge of the promised land, and uh, they were thinking about going in, but they decided, no, we're not going to go in, and they were disobedient to God. And for the next 40 years... Moses led two million Israelites wandering in the desert until all of them died and their children raised up. And that's when Moses died and Joshua comes on the scene. Joshua comes on the scene and God made a huge promise to Joshua. He says this, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And then he, he tells him another promise. He says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Everywhere that your foot goes, wherever your foot lands... I'm going to give you that land. Great, huge, amazing, big promise. Last week, we saw them get, actually get to the promised land. In fact, I don't say this a lot, 
But um, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go to our podcast. You can subscribe for free or you can go to our website. But here they're right on the edge of this raging Jordan River. And what does God do? He shows up and he splits the river. And two million Israelites walk through a dry riverbed, and now they're standing in the promised land. I mean, they are standing 440 years. They've been waiting on this, and they are there. Great, right? Not so much, because even though they're in the promised land, and God said, you're going to inhabit this promised land, it was already inhabited. Um, Imagine this. If somebody showed up at your house and said, by the way, God told me that this is now my house. You need to get out. What would you do? I know what you would do, because I know what I would do. You would get your gun, right? Uh, here, God, God told the Israelites, I am going to give you this land. It's already inhabited. And that's where we come to today, because as they go across the river, they are standing face to face with the biggest, most oldest city in the world. And it's the city of Jericho. In fact, it's so interesting. Jericho, literally, by archaeological findings, is the oldest city in the world. The oldest structure there in Jericho, and I was there 15 years ago, I saw this, was a tower that when Abraham crossed it, it was already 7,000 years old. A very, very old city. It's the oldest city that we have on record. It's also the, the deepest city or the one below sea level. It's, it's, it's 1,300 feet below sea level. So it's the, it's the lowest city here on earth. And at this time, it was the most well-fortified city on earth. The, I mean, these people, the city encompassed 12 acres, and there was two walls around it. There was an outer wall that was six feet high, and then there was an inner wall that was 50 feet high. So they were doubly protected, if you will. Not only this, was that inner wall 50 feet high, but it was so wide that it was said that you could take two chariots and ride them side by side on the top of the wall. It was that wide. I mean, these Israelites, these kind of hick Israelites who've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they go across the river and they ain't never seen anything like this. They've never seen a city quite like Jericho. And here, in this context, it seems like God had made an impossible promise. An impossible promise. Here's the cool thing about this. God shows up in the most impossible places. We looked at this last week. When you find yourself staring into an impossible situation, you and I want to keep our eyes open because that's where God does his best work. That's where God shows up and does some amazing things. So if you're there at Joshua chapter 6, I'm going to ask you to actually rewind and look at three verses before Joshua 6. Because it's in Joshua chapter 5 verse 13. Because Joshua 5 13 going into chapter 6 really is one complete thought. Now here's the kicker on this. The secret of how Joshua and the Israelites conquered Jericho is found at the end of chapter 5. How many of y'all grew up in church and you've heard this song, you sang the song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho? How many of y'all? All All right, cool, some of us. Do you know that is the most theologically incorrect song you could ever sing? Because Joshua didn't fight the battle of Jericho, right? Who fought it? God did. And here, it's a great reminder that any time we're face-to-face with an impossible situation, God shows up. And he fights on our behalf. That is what we're going to look at today. Now, 
Joshua, we, we want to focus on the battle, but before I can get there, i got to focus on Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Because Joshua got prepared for that battle by meeting with God himself in a quiet place. Look at this. Joshua 5, 13 says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now think about this. Joshua's alone. He is where it says he's where he's near where Jericho that's enemy territory so he's there he's all alone and I'm sure he's the commander he's the general he's trying to figure out the battle plan how are we going to do this how are we going to make this happen all of the soldiers around him are going how are we going to do this they're kind of bug-eyed because of the whole wall and the thickness and all of this stuff so Joshua gets alone by himself and he's trying to figure out battle strategy He's trying to figure out how he can make this work. He's trying to figure out what plan he can come up with so that they can be able to get them through the, through the wall with the least amount of resistance and with the least amount of loss of life. Now, there, as he's alone by himself, he meets a man. He meets a man, it says, with a drawn sword in front of him. Think about this. If you're just a little way out from an enemy city, and if you're by yourself, you're the general, and you look up and you see a man with a drawn sword in his hand, one or two things are happening. One, either someone's not following orders on your side because you're never allowed to approach a general with a drawn sword. Or two, and this is probably, really probably what Joshua was thinking, this must be an enemy assassin. Here, I mean, he's near Jericho, And this guy's coming towards him with a sword in his hand. Wow. Look at what it says in verse, in the 13, beginning of 14. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? He said, That's a great question. The answer to that question is going to determine a lot, isn't it? A lot. Are you for us or are you against us? (laughs) And this person with the drawn sword says, Neither. Uh Uh-oh. I mean, think about this. This moment marked Joshua for the rest of his life. This, what we're getting ready to read, this is a watershed moment for Joshua because here we're going to see, go ahead and go to the next verse. We see who it is. It says this, he is the commander of the Lord's army. All right, commander of the Lord's army. Neither he replied, but the commander of the Lord, of the army of the Lord, I have now come. You know, I want to talk about this commander of the army of the Lord because there's a lot of people who think a lot of different things. This could have been an angel, all right? Could have been an angel. Um, I want to teach you a kind of a a doctrinal word today. It's called theophany. Everybody say theophany. Theophany. Let me tell you what that is. It is, a theophany is where God himself, as the pre-incarnate Christ, shows up. Now, let me explain something to you. Some of you guys are like, I thought Christ, Jesus was a baby. Well, he he did become a baby. But Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the reason why I'm bringing that verse up is because even though Jesus was born of a baby, Jesus has always been. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. All right, He is the beginning and the end. So there was never a time when Jesus wasn't, if you will. In fact, there's a lot of places, and I've really believed this is Jesus here. 
This is a theophany. This is God himself. When Jacob is wrestling with the angel of the Lord, I believe he's wrestling with Jesus. I mean, an angel, they didn't have skin on. When Abraham is speaking to the angels... All right, and tell them about, I, I believe that was Jesus. When, you remember Daniel and his friends when they get thrown into the fiery furnace and there's three get thrown in, but there's a fourth one still in there? I believe that was Jesus with them. So I believe whether it's Jesus or whether it's an angel, this is a messenger of God, and he's saying to Joshua, Joshua, he says, neither. I'm not on your side, Joshua. I'm not on their side. I've not come to take sides. I've come to take over. I believe what he's saying to Joshua is this. Joshua, I have not come to be a part of your story. I've not come to be a part of the battle plan that you're working on right now. I've not come to be a part even of the story of Israel. Joshua, I have not come to be a part of your agenda. Joshua, I am here to discover, are you willing to play a part in my plan? Joshua, I am here. Are you willing to play a part in my story? God is saying, Joshua, he says, I, I am, are you willing to part, to play a part in my bigger story? And your answer to that, Joshua, will determine whether or not I'm for you or whether or not I'm against you. Question, am I willing to follow God and be a part of his bigger story or am I trying to create my own side story here apart from God? Because I think so many times, so many times we want to take our opportunities and our skills and our money and our relationships and our influence and our, and our, 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 and we try to make ourselves the center of the story and we're never meant to be made the main character. Remember, history is spelled his story. We're a part of God's story, not to be the main character of our own. So Joshua says, are you friend or are you foe? He says, neither. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? You know, I think Joshua realized that the walls surrounding Jericho weren't nearly as formidable as the one he stood before with his sword drawn. And he said, what do you want? Whatever you want, I'll do it. He just made himself available to God. Now look what God says to Joshua. Exactly what he told Moses back in the burning bush. The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were looking at Moses. But that's exactly what God told Moses where? At the bush that was burning, right? And we talked about this, what it means to be holy. You know, in that culture, anything that was holy, you always kept covered up. Anything that was worthy of honor, you kept covered up. That's the reason many times why women cover their faces in that culture. Anytime you took the scrolls of the Old Testament and you passed them to somebody to be read, it was always covered with a sheet. But here, God says something totally different. You would think... When he says, where you're standing is holy ground, so you need to put on some socks, put on some boots, put on all kinds of stuff. Six pairs of socks. But he says, no, 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 no. I want you to take off your sandals, and I want to get skin on skin with you. I want to be so intimate with you, Joshua. I want to be just as intimate with you, Joshua, as I was with Moses. Let me tell you, there are some of you who are here today, you don't realize this. You think of church as this whole big thing and something you do and how many Hail Marys you can do or this. But you need to know, Josh, God says that he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And when you think of intimacy, what do you naturally think of? We think of a spouse. 
God wants to be as close to you as your husband or your wife, or if you're not married, as your future husband or wife, because we can all dream, right? So here's this thing. God shows up as the commander of the Lord's army, and he immediately slips off his sandals, and he gets on his face, and Joshua listens to the game plan that God, the commander, tells him right here. Joshua listened to the battle plan. The plan that we're getting ready to read in chapter 6, I believe, is the plan that God told Joshua, the commander told Joshua at the end of chapter 5. And here's just a principle. If you and I want to hear from God, then we need to be near God, and we need to be willing to listen and do what he says, no matter how crazy that plan may sound. Because we're getting ready to read a really weird and jacked up strange plan. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's very strange. You and I will never fight God's battle God's way if we don't spend time and pray with God. Joshua is speaking, and Joshua is listening, and that's what prayer is, isn't it? It's talking to God and listening to God. You see, before Joshua met this commander of the Lord, he saw himself as the commander. He saw himself as the general of this army. And he's trying to figure out, how am I going to make this happen? How are we going to get through the walls? How, how, how? There's a lot of hows here. But once he met the who, God, all the hows evaporated. You see, once he met with God, he was face-to-face with the commander-in-chief. And he realized he didn't have to have all the answers. He didn't have to have the entire plan. He just had to be near the person who had the plan. And that was God. Some of you, you got plans and you've been working and you've been trying to fit God in your agenda and you've been trying to work him and plan him and you think you treat God as a genie in a lamp and if I rub him here and if I say this here, then he has to do this. Well, let me tell you, prayer is not about outlining our agenda for God. Prayer is finding out God's agenda for us. Prayer is not about trying to get God buy-in on our plan. You see, if you think about it, that's how most of us pray, right? Tell the truth, shame the devil. Seriously. We buy the car, we start dating this person, and we ask God, bless us, bless, you know, I want you to fix this because we done screwed it up, right? We, we, do, we sign the lease, and the money's going out, and then we don't have the money to pay for it, and we're like, God, fix this. And God's going, this was your plan, right? But I don't think prayer is trying to get God to bless our agenda. I think prayer is trying to figure out God's agenda for us because that's what happened with Joshua. Joshua's trying to figure out the battle plan, and God tells him the battle plan. Let's look at the battle plan. Look at this. Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. This is the context of the plan. Now the gates of Jericho were, what is that next word? Tightly shut up. Tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. I like that. Here you got the biggest, baddest city, and all these people inside, their knees are shaking. In fact, what you don't realize, and we didn't have a a lot of time to get into this, but in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua had went on and sent spies into Jericho to say, hey, let's figure out what's happening inside the city. So they do, and the spies realize that everybody's afraid of these two million Israelites. And you know why? Because they've heard the stories of how God has parted waters. They've heard the story of how God has done amazing things and they've conquered entire nations. They've heard how God has fed them with manna in the wilderness. They've heard about the stories of God and the bigness and the greatness of God because God 
Man, bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. Now, that's where we go. We'll keep on moving. No one was allowed to go in or out, but the Lord said to Joshua, now look at these next words, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all of its strong warriors. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's kind of strange. Because I would think if God is saying this, God told this to Joshua, Joshua is telling this to the people, it should have read, I will give you Jericho, right? Because Jericho is still standing. But here's the kicker, and I, I like how this is. The verb tense here is past tense. It's not I will give. It's saying it's a done deal. I've already taken care of it. Let me tell you, sometimes we need to stop praying and we need to start praising because God has already accomplished our biggest feat, our biggest fear, our biggest impossible situation. God has already taken care of it, and now we need to start trusting and praising in God, and we need to just stop praying. I love that. God has already delivered Jericho, but here's the kicker. They still have to do something about it. What do they have to do? Let's keep on reading. Here's the plan that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Verse 3. You and your fighting men. Okay, that's a great place to start. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Hmm. All right, I'll write that down, God. Once a day, six days, fighting men. Okay. When do we, you know, when do we, no, just listen. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. Okay, ram's horn, ark, priest, cool. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. Okay, Um, so they're going to, I take it, they're going to blow the battle cry, and that's when we're going to attack, right, God? Just listen, Joshua. Hang on. All right. After they blow the lamb's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Okay, battle cry. All right, hua. All right. Then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into town. So Joshua called together the priest and said, Take up the ark of the Lord, the Lord's covenant, and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, carrying each a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, March around the town. And the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. Okay, just think through this. You're the commander. Let's put this in real time. You're the commander of an army. And you're having to get your soldiers, and you're having to sell them on this plan. Hang out with me just for a sec, okay? So this is, this is the very first battle that's going to happen when you're in the promised land. So you get the soldiers together, and all right. Guys, let's huddle up. I want to tell you what the plan is. You have someone in the back. Raise your hand. Yes, um, I've been looking at the, um, the walls, Mr. Joshua, uh, General Joshua, and wanted to see, uh, we got some mortars here. Why don't we just start having, just bombard them with mortars? Okay, that's a great plan. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, yes. Yeah, I was going we've been carrying this battering, around, battering ram around for the past 40 years, wandering in the desert. Uh, is this where we time we get to use it? Thank your point, your point is well noted. Uh, yes, you. Uh, yeah, why don't we do an airstrike? All right, that's a good one. We're not going to do any of those. All right, here's the plan. Here is what we're going to do. Um, we got chaplains here, right? Yep, we got chaplains. Um, we're going to have the chaplains lead us into battle. Somebody raise hand, but chaplains, they're not even allowed to carry guns. I know, don't worry, this gets better. While the chaplains are there, uh, we still got the army band, the marching band, right? 
Yeah. Um, they're going to go with the chaplains, and they're going to play. Okay. Um, that's it? Pretty much. And some dude in the back going, um, excuse me, sir. <laughs> that's the plan? I said this first service, and, you know, somebody uh, said, pulled me up and says, you know, the, the people who play in the marching band, you know, they, they're certified. They can shoot, shoot their weapons. Okay. That's cool. All right. Um, that's cool. So I, I'm not going to dish y'all too bad. All right. Any of y'all playing the band in here? Army band? Oh, you playing the army band? <laughs> like, you're a little young to play in the army band. All right. So just think about this. This is the plan that's going to lead them to victory in the very first battle fought in the promised land. That is something. But here's the thing. Prayer. Prayer is the difference between you fighting for God and God fighting for you. Some of you have been fighting so much, trying so much, trying to make a marriage work, trying to make finances work, trying to make a blended family work, but you are doing it. You are trying it. You're doing it in your own strength, in your own way. You and I, though, we need to pray like it depends upon God, and then God begins to fight on your behalf. That is what we need to realize. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. You and I would begin to see God move in our lives if we spent more time praying and less time talking. You see, here's what the tendency, what all of us have a tendency to do. When we go to the doctor and the doctor gives us a bad report, what's the first thing we ask the doctor? Well, what can we do about it? Right? Because he's the specialist. He's the doctor. He's the PhD. Well, let me tell you, if we spent more time going to God rather than going to people who are specialists, we may see some amazing things happen in our lives because bold prayers honor God. They always do. God will do some amazing things. So that's what they do. That's the battle plan. They circle, they circle the city. Now, here's what, something that's so cool. I, I, and there's three things I really want you to write down on this. They're circling the city. I think what they're doing is they're marking their territory. Now, when I say marking their territory, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Urine. I heard it. All right. You, you think of a dog, right? I have a Weimaraner named Macy. And Macy, when I take her on a walk, uh, I go into other people's yards, and she loves peeing in y'all's yard. Because she loves marking her territory, right? Well, here's the thing. Marking your territory is staking claim to something. How do we do that spiritually, though? We do that by praying. As the Israelites marched around the city, and the first lap around this 12-acre city probably took about 30 minutes. If that first lap was probably humili humiliating. The first time around, the soldiers must have just thought, this is the dumbest plan ever. But they do it, and then they go back to camp. They go back to camp. And they're walking and they're praying. You know, I get this. Because you know what? When I pray, I walk. Let me tell you why I never pray. I never pray in my office sitting behind a computer screen. Because if I'm behind a computer screen, there's always more emails to answer. There's a sermon to write. Uh, it's, easily, it's easy to be distracted. But one of the things I do, I do two things. Anytime I'm, I'm on the phone, I'm walking and talking. That's just how I do. If you call me on my cell, I will get up and start pacing. And I'll probably drop your call because of it, because thanks, AT&T. Right? The second thing is when I'm praying, I'm walking, because I get, I'm too easily distracted. Let me tell you, one of the things before even one church got started, one of the things I do... Every week, and I, I've been doing this since one church ever had the name one church, is I go prayer walking. 
And what that is, is I go once a week, I will go into a neighborhood somewhere in North Clarksville, and I'll just, I'll just, I'll find the neighborhood and I'll just walk around and I'll pray. And I'll pray for each person, each family in that home, each child in that home, each adult in that home. I pray for marriages. I pray because I believe that God has given us this city. I believe that God wants to give not just one church the city, but God the city. And whether that's one church or any church, it doesn't matter. These are God's people. I totally believe that. You know, recently, um, by God's grace, um, uh, I got a bike. Uh, God has given me a bike, so I'm going to start prayer bike riding. So if you see a, a big dude with a helmet, you know it's me, and I'm praying for you, right? I'm, all right, I'm just saying, just, it's, it's circling the promises of God. And let me tell you, God gives us promises all throughout the Scripture. One of the things I'd encourage you to do is find a Bible that you can understand and read, and you get out a pen, and you just start circling promises, circling promises. And there are promises all over the pages of Scripture, and you start praying what you've circled. All right? So they're marking God's territory. They're marking God's territory. Second thing. Prayer is the way for us to gather intelligence. Let me tell you, they're going around this city once a day for six days. You know what they're doing? They're not saying anything, but they're walking around with their eyes open, and they're praying, and they're looking. They're looking. They are gathering, gathering intelligence. They are doing reconnaissance. And let me tell you, when we pray, that is, that's gathering intelligence. We're going to start noticing things that we would regularly miss. When you pray, you will notice everything. In fact, this is what Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says. It says, devote yourselves to prayer and be watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful. I want to talk about that word watchful. That word watchful is an illusion of a watchman standing on a city wall, scanning the horizon. They were the first to see, and they saw the furthest. And that's what happens when we pray. When you and I pray, we will see further, and we will see first, we will see farther. When we pray, God will give us that perspective. Because for the next six days, they're getting a 360-degree perspective of the promises of God. They're getting a 360-degree perspective of the promise that God is going to give them because I have already delivered you the city, right? So they march around the city for the first day. They go back to camp. That's Joshua chapter 6, verse 11. In, uh, on the day 2, they march around the city again. That's Joshua 6, verses 12 through 14. Day 3, they march around the city again. I'm sure by day 3, the people inside Jericho were hearing the Jaws theme. Like, what are these people doing? Right? I mean, this is psychological warfare, right? Day four, they're doing it again, and they're not saying a word. Day five, they're circling. Day six, they circle, not saying a word. They go back to camp. Look what happens on day seven, though. On the seventh day, verse four, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then, the walls of the town will collapse. And the people can charge straight into the town. Quick question. What if these people had stopped marching on day six? What would have happened? Nothing. 
You see, God said, I want you to march around six times, but then on the seventh day, that's when you're going to see some results. If they would have quit on day six, they would have forfeited the miracle right before it happened. And that leads me to my third point. Our third point is this. Don't stop circling in prayer. Most of us don't see God answer our prayers because we quit circling. We quit praying. We, we give up too easily. We stop asking. We have not because we ask not. We quit praying right before the miracle happens. Sometimes we take one lap around Jericho and we expect God to act as if we've been faithful enough to do it seven times. But it was on that seventh day. Can you imagine? I mean, up to this point, they've been quiet. They've just been walking. They've been quiet. And then all of a sudden, there's this huge shout! And the walls just start trembling. That 50-foot wall, it starts buckling. Like the wall of a sandcastle. Just boom. And the oldest city, the most well-fortified city, the lowest city on earth was leveled. Why? Because God is faithful. God had already given it. And they obeyed God. Even though it was a crazy plan, they circled those prayers. They obeyed. And they kept on doing it. After seven days of circling Jericho, God delivered on a 400-year-old promise, which once again, it lets us know that there is no expiration date with God's promises. I want to give you a few challenges today as we close. The first challenge is simply this. Identify your Jericho. What is your Jericho? For some of you, you got some impossible situations. You've got some things that you've tried attacking it, you've tried correcting it, you've tried fixing it, and the wall just won't fall. What is your Jericho? What is your impossible situation? How many of y'all were here last Sunday? Let me see your hands. How many of y'all took a rock? All right, good. Put them down. That rock should have symbolized your impossible situation. In fact, I ask you to take it home and write on that, that impossible situation. Let me tell you, that rock can be the rubble of a wall that will fall if you keep on circling. So, but you can't let walls fall down unless you identify what walls they are. You have to identify your Jericho and you got to keep on. You got to keep on circling. You got to keep on praying. You don't stop on the sixth day. You keep on. And that leads me to my second challenge is don't stop circling your Jericho in prayer. Don't stop circling your Jericho. If you want to see a miraculous move of God, then don't stop circling in prayer. Don't don't stop. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep on going. And this leads me to my third challenge. We're doing something here today. We're starting it today called a 21-day prayer challenge. And here's what I'm asking you guys to do. You can do this in two ways. If you have your... You version out, there's, at the very bottom, it says, yes, I want to be a part of that 21-day t- prayer challenge. And you can put on there what you want to pray about. You can put anonymous, you can put names, you can put relationships, whatever it is. And we, as a staff and leadership, we're going to be praying. But what we're asking you to do is to do this for 21 days. By the way, how long does it take to make a habit? 21 days. Thank you. There's a reason for 21. All right? So I'm asking you, and you need to do this like an appointment on your calendar. You just need to make it. Some of you, you got appointments every Monday or every Wednesday, whatever it is. You need to make an appointment every day with this, and you stick with it. It can be in the morning, great, if you're a morning person. If you're a night owl, make it in the night. If you're not a morning or a night, make it at noon. It doesn't matter. 
But you spend some time praying to God about your Jericho. Now, this third challenge, I, what I want you to do, I want you to go on that version, or you can go to uversion.com and click on live and you can find it as well. There's two ways you can sign up. You can sign up and we're going to be praying for you, but if there's another one you can sign up and it will send you daily emails of encouragement for the next 21 days. Just a reminder, hey, keep on praying. Keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Some of you, you're on the sixth lap. Your marriage is on the sixth lap. Your finances and your money and the whole bankruptcy and all this stuff is on the sixth lap. For some of you, you've been praying for a, for to, for a potential spouse because you're single and you're on the sixth lap. For others of you, you've been praying that God would intersect and just do a miracle in your life and you're on the sixth lap. Don't stop. Don't stop. God does his most amazing work in impossible situations. No matter what your Jericho looks like. So, that's what I want you to do. As I close, I want to give you just a true story. Because some of you, you've been praying for marriages and you've been praying for him. Or you've been praying for her. You may need to do something a little bit different. There's a story by the name of, uh, a, a true story about an evangelist by the name of Gypsy Smith. He was a famous preacher who never went to school. He lived in the early 1900s, never went to school. He grew up in a gypsy camp. That's the reason he's called Gypsy Smith, right? He never spent a day in school, yet he lectured at Harvard University. Two presidents invited him to the White House to speak. He traveled the Atlantic Ocean over 45 times going back and forth, preaching to millions of people. In one time, he preached to a million people. And this is before they had broadcast, you know, like mics and stuff. This man was powerfully used by God. At the end of his life, Some young preachers came to Gypsy Smith and asked him, Sir, how can we be used by God like you've been used by God? How can we do amazing, have God do amazing things in our lives like he's done in your life? How can God change our circumstances like he's changed your circumstances, Mr. Smith? And here's what Gypsy said. Exact words. This is what he says. If you want to know, if you want God to show up in your life, then here's what you need to do. You need to go home. Lock yourself in your bedroom. Kneel down next to your bed, take a piece of white chalk, and draw a circle around you. And stay in that circle and pray that God would show up inside that circle. Pray that God would change the person inside that circle before he changes your circumstances outside of the circle. See, for some of you here today, you've been praying for a spouse outside of your circle. You've been praying that God would change that blankety-blank person. When really, maybe God needs to be changing the blankety-blank person that's inside the circle. You see, if God changes us, then maybe he will start changing some other Jerichos in our life. Maybe your biggest problem, you're thinking your spouse is a Jericho, but you the Jericho. Right? Maybe for some of you, I mean, your biggest thing you think it is outside, but it's really right here. So don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Make this 21-day prayer challenge and do it because God just might show up and do some amazing things in your life. Dear God, we thank you so much, Lord, that we can come to you this morning. And Lord, I know all of us, we have some big, hairy, nasty, impossible situations in our lives. Lord, that... 
when we look at it, it looks daunting, it looks impossible, it looks like nothing can ever happen, nothing can ever change. I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried Jesus, I've tried religion, I've tried prayer, I've tried all of this stuff. But Lord, I pray that we would be diligent, that we would persevere, and that we would keep on circling. Because some of us just may be on lap six. We, we just may be just, just a smidgen off for you doing some amazing miracles. We can't stop. I pray that we don't stop. For it's in Jesus' great big name that we pray.